Welcome to the Braveheart Ministries podcast. In this episode, join Peter Lewis as he shares on the mystery of the gospel to the resident students at Upper Room Dallas. For more information on Braveheart Ministries or Peter's latest book, Back to the Gospel, visit BraveheartMinistries.org. If we don't if we don't understand the old covenant, you won't be grateful for the new. I think most Christians, because we've been born this side of the cross with the revelation of the cross covenant available, we don't actually understand what we've been born into. We don't understand the power and the in the in the strength of covenant because we were most of us are there any people of Jewish descent in here? Awesome. Did you grow up Jewish? Okay, so you, you kind of know, you, you flow with it. Anyone else? Um, so then, then this will, uh, so I want to I wanna unpack this because in Ephesians 2, Paul tells the, the Gentiles, he says, hey, I actually want you guys to remember when you were cut off from Christ. Because you got to understand, when Paul, Paul lived in this, the timeline's here, again, I don't know, this is a lot of years, but just, it's not to scale. Paul lived like right here just after this moment right so there were Gentiles Gentiles on this side where the Bible says were strangers of the covenant of promise they were alienated from God and they were cut off from the commonwealth of Israel they could not know God as as husband and be intimate as Israel could understand that so if you were not a, a Jew in part of Israel, and there was, there was some small exceptions if you were brought in through circumcision, okay, bless the Lord. <clears throat> These guys were cut off. Like, you, it wasn't like, oh, you could just hear the gospel and, and get saved. Do you understand that? There was no hope for them. Don't, don't worry, because when, in Peter, it says that he went and he preached to those who were in captive, he, as though they were alive. Okay? That's weird, but he did that, and it's cool. All right? So, these guys were, they could not be in relationship with God. You've got to get that. We, we talk about being, Pam was just talking about being a, a ungrateful. It's like, you, who have who you decided that you wanted to be born on this side of the cross? Anyone? No. Like, there, so there should be a certain gratitude, like, oh my gosh. Wow. Praise God. Seriously. We, we, we get so accustomed to just what is cultural Christianity. The gospel's available. Here's a track. Pray the prayer. Five points. Boom. You're in. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Can we slow down, please, and just look at covenant and, and maybe just have a little more respect for this, this covenant relationship that we've entered into with the living God and have a fear of the Lord and a sobriety in our hearts and a gratitude. Like, uh, when I'm singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. It's because this stuff is swirling. It's now my framework. I wouldn't have the joy, joy. I couldn't sing that over here. I'm in covenant with God. You say, well, come on, I know that. No, no, no. That is a big deal. We're in covenant with him. So, 
right here around, we got Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. Do you guys remember this covenant? He was circumcised. It's Genesis 15, I believe. You can go look at this. This is really important. This was before the law. We're going to just go there, okay? Over here, here's Adam and creation. Okay, when he sinned, Romans 5 says that death reigned through sin. Okay? This was before the law. Okay? It wasn't until Moses in the mountain that the law was given. Okay? So, this is really kind of weird to think about, but it's important. The Bible says that the, the law, where there's no law, sin is not accounted for. You can't count it. You can't measure sin without the law. But he says, but it still produced death. You with me? They, they couldn't measure themselves on the scale of sin and doing right and wrong because they didn't have, they didn't have God's law. They didn't actually know the right and the wrong. They didn't know his system, his global kind of like, this is how you relate to me. The law was given so that, so that Israel could relate to God. So they could be in right relationship with God. Everything was set up so that Israel could be in right relationship with him, God as husband, and Israel as his wife. This is why we said the old covenant's like a marriage relationship, because he says, Israel, you're my bride, but then we all know that in this period of time, Israel was faithless. God still loved her, but she was faithless you know, whoring after other gods, constantly going astray. Why? Why was Israel constantly going astray in the old covenant underneath the law? Do we know? Why? Why? Huh? Yes. And what what did they have through here? They had they had a they had a propensity like the like the old hymn says prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I have a feeling that Israel probably should have written that song and maybe not us in the new covenant. Sorry, I don't like that line of that song. I don't sing it anymore. Anyway. (laughs) So, so here they were prone to wander because of a sinful nature. They were, they were enslaved to sin. Now, here they still had sin, but they weren't enslaved to it in the same way it was like this exposed, this exposed their sin. The law did. It revealed. Paul says in Romans 7, he goes, I, he goes, Paul says this, he goes, in Romans 7, he goes, I wouldn't have known what it is to covet. I could have been coveting over here. Didn't know it. Still produced death in me, but I didn't know it. It didn't, it didn't defile my conscience before God. This is going to freak you out. He covets over here and it doesn't defile his conscience before God because he doesn't know. Does it still produce death in him? Yes, but it doesn't defile his conscience. Ava. Quick question. Would that be, would that be where God says, um, where God tells, says that this is like Abraham's faith being credited to him 
Yes. He, God, the Bible says that God pronounced the gospel to Abraham in saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. Come on. He's saying, in you, Abraham, in your seed, through your seed, Christ, I'm going to bless all nations, not just Israel. This was the climax of the gospel. That's Galatians 3. He says that in you, or 4 maybe, in you, all nations shall be blessed. And Abraham said, I believe that. And God said, boom, I'm crediting to you righteousness before you're circumcised. And then he received circumcision as a sign of the inward circumcision of his heart, righteousness. Do do we lose people? Guys, don't, please don't tune out. Please don't tune out. Because what we talked about yesterday, you, you may say, how do I access that power? You gotta get this. This is the framework that you access that power 24 by seven. And it seems technical and we're gonna bring it home here, but you have to understand this whole history. This is our history. We're not separate from Israel. These are, this is our family now. And biblically, there's two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, so if you don't know the characters in the story and the language, it's going to seem, it's just going to seem heady and divisive and, and, and theological to you. It's going to all seem theological, and it's not. It's actually an invitation to know God. But we have to, we're, we're kind of simultaneously learning the language that God speaks to us in and trying to apply it for today. That's, that's my goal. So, so did you guys catch this? He could covet here, not know it, and then the law came and the law's like, hey, you just coveted. He's like, oh, yes, I did. Now I feel guilty before God because I coveted. That's what the law does. It, it points to your, yeah, you just did that. And that, God doesn't like that because you broke the law. And what that does, when you break the law, it would defile their conscience. But in the old covenant, God set up a system for their conscience to be cleared for a little while. And what they would do is they would take an animal and they would go to the priest and they'd say, hey, kill this for me and offer a prayer to God that I may be forgiven of this coveting that I just did or whatever the sin is. How gracious is God? He's like, man, I don't want you living guilty. I want your conscience to be clean so that I can be in relationship with you. The law was given so that they could relate to him rightly and simultaneously to point them to Christ because ultimately it was their sinful nature that, that was aroused by the law, Romans 7. Did you guys read, read Romans 7? I told you it's like a bonus. <laughs> we'll, we'll maybe unpack that today because Romans 7 doesn't say what most people says it says. I think Paul says that in the New Testament. But, but this, can I, can I make a note about this? When the Jews were walking out the law of God, they did it as an act of love towards him. Walking out the law, carrying out the law for the Jewish people is like doing works for God is their way of saying I love you. It's not, so even present day Messianic Jews, my brother, they, we, I've been around this a lot. It is, it is in their core to walk out the law and that's there, I love you to God. It's pure and beautiful. And this is why Paul in Romans 14, he speaks to this and he's basically like, man, don't condemn someone else's 
uh, work before God because it's different than your work before God. He goes, some person may honor one day as holy and you may consider all days holy. He's like, don't judge that person and tell him he's wrong. You may theologically be right, but this person's doing this unto me and honoring me in their honoring the day that's holy even though I've sanctified all the days. You with me? So let's not split hairs and, and, and defile each other's conscience because we worship God differently. And that, I, that's, there's context to that. You can't apply that across the board. But So, so the law came, and so the, the, way, the way that Israel, they were in covenant through circumcision. This was how covenant was cut. There was blood that was shed, Blood had to be shed to enter into covenant, and so they related to God with the law. But because the law was, was over Israel and given by God, it aroused and, and brought forth the sinful nature that was, that was in him. Watchman Nee, I think, says it this way. He says, if you had the clumsiest servant in the world, he, was, he couldn't walk, he couldn't, he couldn't carry a glass of water, and he says, if he sat in a chair just at rest, you would not know what kind of man that is. But the moment I tell that lazy, clumsy servant, hey, go get me a glass of water, and I put a demand upon that man, I'm gonna now see, as he stands up, fumbles over his feet, spills the water, I'm gonna see what kind of man that is. He's a clumsy man. You couldn't see it until the demand came because he just sat here quietly and he looked like any other person. You couldn't see the clumsiness. The clumsiness is there, it's latent within the man, but the demand actually exposed the clumsiness. Make sense? So that's what the law does. Now, here's, here's where we need to bring this home, because we read Romans 7. How many of you read the law, and you're like, oh, I, I kind of know what, what, what they're talking about? Like, you can relate to living by the law. Can anyone? Raise your hand. Okay, that, that's a little weird, because we're Gentiles and we actually never, we didn't have this law. So the law, biblically, Romans 7, he says, I'm speaking to those who know the law. Where is it? Here. He's not talking to us, but somehow we read it, the do, what I don't want to do, and all that, and we're like, oh man, I can so relate to that. Why? Because I believe what we've done in the new covenant is we've taken new covenant commands exhortations and we've, we've made it a law. We've taken the promises and the exhortations in the new covenant and we've, we've solidified them as a law over the new covenant body of Christ. We've said, we've said exactly what the old covenant law said. If you do these things, you'll be right before God. Now here's how I can tell you that it's completely whack. I could, I could ask every single one of you, tell me the top three things you think God wants you to do to be completely pleased. Biblically, tell me the top three things you think God has for you. Define the law, the new covenant law. We would get a lot of different answers. Like, like your law, like for some people, all they think is mission. Man, we got to do mission. Some people, it's like, no, you got to have your quiet time. Some people, it's like, no, you got you to walk free from sin. You got to do, and we put all these things. Yes, can you find these commands in the New, New Testament and exhortations to do those things? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. But they've become a law. And so here, biblically, the Bible says in the new covenant, it depends on grace. Okay? So there's a shift from the old covenant to the new covenant. Obviously, this is the shift point. There's a, there's a change. There's a revelation. Here it was depending on law. Here's grace. Now in the new covenant, the primary revelation is God as father. So something happens. God now becomes father. It depends on grace. And, and here now all nations are included, not just Israel. You with me? This is kind of like high, high level of, of the timeline and what happens. So because we're born over here and because sometimes we've taken the new covenant and we've, we've, we've made it, you know, grace and a little bit of law, like you get saved by grace. Remember when we say saved, most people say saved, they're talking about our justification or getting born again and going to heaven. We get saved by grace, but you get sanctified through works. This is typically how, how it's presented can anyone just, am, am I the only one that had that? Or if not, just, you, yeah. Like, do you, know, do you know what I mean by that? Does that connect? Like, you, you get saved. It's completely free, your salvation. But now that you're in, now your spiritual progress, your growth depends on your effort. Ashley, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and let me let me say this about that cuz that was soon after you got saved. <laughs> what's so grace what's so grace and great about grace is that is that guys when we get born again this is this is the thing we literally become an infant in Christ. You I have I've had a lot of infants the last 4 years, 5 years. When that infant comes out, I don't expect it. I know one day through the process of my care and just being loved and staying alive, it will be able to do things a mature person will do. But my expectation is zero on that infant. I'm just like, man, I hope that thing stays alive and, and we just keep it alive and happy and just, just nourish it, right? And it gets, you know, it gets addicted to nursing and it's like, that's all I want to do is nurse. It's like, yes, praise God, hallelujah, just keep nursing, right? Because that keeps it alive. And so I want to honor, sometimes we, we, we can look back and we judge where we were at and we go, oh, I can't believe. No, you were just looking for life. You were just, you were, that's your way of nursing on God going, man, I encountered God there. I want more of that. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, zero shame, like, come on. We judge ourselves, again, based on this, and we want to have, like, it's possible to get born again and stay an infant your whole life if no one teaches you how to grow up. And that's where I feel like what's happened is we have a bunch of infants in Christ. They're born again. Yes, they're saved. People say, well, they're not saved. I'm like, well, 
ah, maybe they're not manifesting the fullness of salvation, but I'm not gonna say someone who's acknowledged, Jesus, you're my Lord, forgive my sins. I want you to be Lord of my life. I think the Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And you get born again, that there's a moment in time that you identify with this cross and you get born again, but then from that place you have to live it out in covenant union with God and intimacy with him. And that's how we experience sanctification is through intimacy, is through knowing him face to face. And what we've done is because we've said that this promise is about heaven and not about knowing him, is we, we haven't given people the path to know him and actually be sanctified. And so, <clears throat> two, two critical things that change at this moment, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna state the end and then we'll look at what happened. But here, <clears throat> again, this is chapter, so this is God as father, this is chapter five, chapter six is born again. So this is born again. Let's do, instead of heaven, so if this is sinner over here, then this is saint over here. Okay? Born of God. Partaker of the divine nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old has done what? Passed away. Okay, so <clears throat> you guys, this is this. You guys know this language, right? The what I wanna what I wanna stress, what I wanna focus on, is these shifts from sinner to saint, from law to grace, from husband to father. These are massive paradigm shifts that we have to make that will allow us to walk this out and experience the promises of the gospel. Any questions on that? I feel like there's some, I'm hearing some questions. Yeah. I just wanted to address something like what, what you were saying about the grace, like we're saved, but then we're sanctified through like our works. Like I know a scripture has been associated with that and taught is like, Yeah, will you open that one? Are you there? Yeah. Can you read it? Yeah, it's in Philippians 2.12. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, keep, keep reading. Keep reading. Read it again. Read the whole thing. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Who works in you? God. To both will and act according to his good pleasure. Huh. So there's something about working out our salvation, fear and trembling, acknowledging that the living God, Holy Spirit, has made his home in my heart. Do you know that causes me to tremble? That causes me fear in my heart. That puts the fear of God in me. The Bible says that my spirit's been made one spirit and and a profound mystery, listen, is that my flesh has been made one flesh with his. Doesn't say spirit in that constant. Uh, Ephesians 5 says 
that a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. And I'm not talking about marriage, by the way. I'm talking about Christ in the church. This is a profound mystery. We use that scripture again, and this, was, this is the, the revelation, the awesome revelation of the old and new covenant. Someone said, what's the difference between the old and the new covenant? I said, the old covenant is like a, like a husband and a wife. It's possible for that relationship to be broken through divorce. Not God's will, not his desire, but it is a relational possibility for a man and wife for them to be broken. Of course, in God's eyes, he still sees them as, as, as spiritual union and all that. Like, I'm not discrediting that. The difference, however, in the new covenant, God says in Ephesians 5, he says that a man leaves his mom and dad and is joined to his wife And those two individuals, individual fleshes, become one flesh in the form of a child. My daughter, Faith, is one flesh of my wife and I. She is literally one piece of flesh from my wife and I because we came together and there was one flesh. We quote that in marriages, and, and, and yes, I get it. There is a spiritual union that takes place in a man and woman. Yes, absolutely. I'm not discounting that, but Paul says, I'm actually trying to articulate to you a profound mystery that when a child comes out of a man and woman and represents one flesh of those two, that's what happens through the gospel. With you and Christ, you become one flesh with God. One spirit, yes, and one flesh, meaning your physical, earthly temple that you can touch has become one with the living God. How can this be? Can God be joined? Can, can God himself be unified with sin? You guys are about to understand righteousness. <laughs> You're about to understand the blood of Jesus and the power and how and why I get passionate is because of how massively we have undermined this moment in time. You want to see me get passionate when I see the intent and the heart of God for for this. Don't, Don't tell me he just hung there naked so I could go to heaven someday. It's not like, come on. When you see his intent, when you think about a man and woman in the intimacy that's needed or that, that, that happens for them to produce a child, think about the intimacy. Can we just, can we be grown-ups here? Can we think about a man and woman being intimate together in the most, in the most holy, pure way? And the man takes his seed and he sows it into the woman He sows it into the woman, and in that woman, a life begins to form. And Paul says, I'm trying to articulate to you something so deep and so profound. He says, this is exactly how it is with, the, with, with Christ in the cross. In this moment, he takes your womb he takes your, your spiritual womb that has been defiled through the fall of man. You're barren spiritually in this place. You cannot bear godly offspring. You can't receive the spirit of Christ as a sinner. You can't receive the spirit of Christ as a sinner. You can't receive the Holy Spirit 
as a sinner. So what he does is he says, hey, do you understand that I'm the lamb, I shed my blood to cleanse your spiritual womb? He cleansed our womb spiritually and he made it like a virgin womb. That's what the blood's for. So he actually takes out every last ounce and drop of your sinfulness for a purpose to prepare you to receive the seed of heaven, the sperma of God. That word, the Holy Spirit's likened to a seed. Do you know what that word seed is? It's sperma. The Holy Spirit is the sperma of God. And he goes, man, I want a lot of kids. And this was how God wanted kids. This was the most intimate disclosure of his heart. He's going, man, I want a lot of kids. And you represent a child of mine. You represent someone that I can actually impregnate with myself. But first, before I do that, I have to cleanse your womb spiritually so that I can put my pure, holy seed. Like Mary, you become a virgin. It's, it's a prototype. Mary's the, Mary to me is the prototype of the New Testament Christianity. She has a virgin womb and she receives the spirit of God and Christ begins to be formed inside of her. And guess what? As she just carries that baby in faith, trusting that the purposes of God in the DNA of God will come forth through her life. And that when she gives birth to Christ, guess what? And she raises Christ, he's gonna grow up and manifest himself in the world. Christianity is the exact same. You get pregnant with God and all you have to do, Paul says, man, this language is everywhere in the Bible. Paul says, man, I'm laboring until Christ is formed with you. He goes, I'm in the anguish of childbirth laboring for you, for all of you. I'm laboring. I'm in anguish because I want to see that seed of Christ, the sperma of God, grow up inside of you. And if he stays a little sperm, if he stays a little seed, he's not gonna manifest through your members. But if you learn how to partner with God's created process to allow Christ to begin to form in you, this is, this is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This isn't poetic language. This is Christ in you. What's the hope of glory? It's that he grows up and in, and all of a sudden we learn through yieldedness, through surrender, through humility, through abiding in the vine. We just say, God, I I love you. Thank you for putting your seed inside of me. Man, grow up through me. God, use my hands, use my lips, use my eyes, use my very countenance, use my presence to express your life to the world. Just be you through me. When my wife's pregnant, all she thinks about is like what she eats. She's like, I've got to make sure this baby, she just carries the baby. And through the process of nourishment, that baby grows up. And then and guess what? She gives birth to that baby. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You're talking very much about yielding like the grace of God that Yes. Yeah. You 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 do the will of God through Christ in you. That that's where that's where we land with this is that if Christ is in you, Jonathan, and it's your desire for him to express his life through you, then all of a sudden you you yield and in your yieldedness, guess what? Christ is going to act. 
and he's gonna say, hey, I need you, I want you to go talk to that person. We're going to church, we're going to lunch with my mom and sister after I preach Sunday morning at a church and we see a homeless lady standing on the corner. The last thing I wanted to do was invite her to lunch. I saw her when I drove. We've got our kids with her. She is a royal mess, a mess of a woman sitting there. I don't want to invite her, but I see her, and there's something in my heart that says we should invite her. I go, and I'm walking in. I'm not inviting her. I did not invite her. Christy, my wife, says, hey, I think we should invite that. Did you see? We were in separate cars, separate car she gets out she goes uh, she goes babe and I could see her wrestling and Christ got through her and not me <laughs> my wife's a grown woman of God and she said I think we should inv- I'm gonna invite that woman to lunch with us she she acted and did the will of God through God God tried to tried to be himself through me and I said no I'm hungry I want nachos but he had a little more control over my wife because there's a little more yieldedness to her in that moment, overcoming the fear of man, the fear of my mom, the fear of my sister. What are they gonna think? We're inviting this woman and she came. She came to lunch with us and she sat there with us. It happens through Christ in you, through that intimate, because the, the flip side of that verse is, is Matthew 7 where these guys said, look, I did all this work in your name. I cast out devils in your name. I did it in your name. I didn't do it in my name. I did it in your name. I did it for you. And he's going, I never knew you. You, you, you actually, you missed the whole point. You did all this kingdom work. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity because you did all of that apart from me. You did all of that in your own strength, in your own mind. You took something that you thought I wanted and without knowing me, you did something that yes, of course that stuff's in my will, but you did it not connected to me. And that's where we walk this out. You're, you're, you're like zeroed in on this tension and it, can we just acknowledge that tension? There's a tension there. But if you can get God's design, I'm telling you, God's, God's created design, like everything he created does what it's supposed to do through the design. Through the design is powerful. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We hope you are encouraged to live as a redeemed, powerful, spotless bride of Jesus Christ as you listened. For more information on our ministry, resources, and scheduled dates, go to BraveheartMinistries.org or find us on Facebook.